going. Ooh, something just fell. <laughs> That's the best way to start a podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the second episode of Candy Corn Cinema. Uh, today we're talking about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen meeting the Avengers. Chris, what the hell are we doing here today? <laughs> We are living a childhood dream of mine and going over two films that deal with some of the greatest heroes ever. Unfortunately, let's face it, some of them were handled a little poorly, some of them were handled excellently, but you know what? At the end of the day, we love them both. Yeah, definitely. And I think that we should start off with the one that people are probably wondering why the hell we would decided to watch this movie again. So, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> this was... And the reason we paired it up with the, with the Avengers is this is basically the Avengers before the Avengers. They teamed up a bunch of basically literary superheroes into this crazy movie, what became Sean Connery's last movie. What are your, what, what did, what were your initial thoughts even before coming in for a rewatch of this movie? Like what, what did you come in before holding on to this? So I've always been biased. Uh, my, my, my first degree uh, at university was in English. I happened to also be uh, a focus in 19th century literature. So this right on the be, mark, even when it first came out, I was always interested in these characters. So I really loved the idea. And when I saw the film, I really loved it. It brought together great characters that I've enjoyed in literature, you know, uh, throughout my, my education. I, I was a dork as a kid and I read a lot. And so seeing my characters on screen was a big deal to me and, and portrayed by some fairly good names, Sean Connery, notwithstanding, <laughs> you know, well, obviously Sean Connery, you go, yeah, he's great. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I love it and I, I still do love it. And, and Unfortunately, when we do a rewatch, you know, uh, I understand now even more what the problems are of it. And yet I still sit there going, man, I wish there was a sequel. Matt, I think that like I, I can see the problems with it, but they're only like they're so small. Even like now to me, like comparison, like I thought the visual effects would have held up a lot less. Like we were talking about the mummy last week and the mummy, like in, in hindsight, I thought the mummy was like, yeah, okay. These visual effects aren't as good as I thought they were. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I think they hold up a lot better than I thought they actually held up until you get to the third act where, where every, everything goes to shit in this movie in the third act. Like, it's just, that's where this movie falls apart. I feel like yeah. this movie is amazing up until then. I think that's a good place to start is visual effects. Uh, yes. That is a lot of the problem in that third act, especially uh, the company that did this is edge FX. And if you're not familiar with edge FX, uh, they were the ones who basically helped pioneer the effects in the abyss back in the eighties. They've mm. done so many movies they're a big house. If you don't get ILM, you get Edge yeah, They were, they wasn't, wasn't the Abyss team also the team that split off to do ILM? They were like, they were like the, the diverging teams. So like these were, these guys were like, they were big time. Right. Um, and, and what you get here is some really great transitions that are done by computer. Uh, and it's really well done. Even something as simple as um, the character of an invisible man. I'll get into that. Not the invisible man. Yeah. But an invisible man. Well, they had reasons uh, for that. <laughs> yes, there. We will get there. Uh, um, no, the 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 stuff they do with him is really good. You'd think, oh, just put a guy in green screen or 
something like in a green screen suit and that's it. It's more complex than that because you've got interactions, you've got things with environments. And then when he puts on coats and hats and, you know, Skinner is done really well. I like the effects yeah. that they bring into it. Uh, and then even the white makeup. I love, white makeup. I love what, like makeup. watching him put it on again. I thought it was amazing. Like for this is 2003 and like this effect really, it works really. And then the, the turning of the camera. So you see from behind and the makeup in the reverse and, and from, from the reverse uh, facial structure. And it just, it's a weird effect and it looks funky because you've never seen something through in the reverse of that side of the face before like it's a, it's weird but it, it it works so well i felt it's it's very well done and then um the stuff with nemo's ship uh the nautilus mm -hmm. i am in love with it this is not the production the design that, yeah the nautilus I, I both well both from a visual effect standpoint and also uh the insides of the yeah. ship when we see them going through it it's gorgeous it's beautiful it has definitely not aged quite as well. Yeah. I mean, it clearly is CG, but it's so beautiful and it's different than the book describes it. And I like that, taking your own image, taking your own view of it. Uh, and they do such a good job with it. I mean, it, if you haven't seen the movie, it basically is this very, very slim design. It fits the sword of the ocean. It fits that. Yeah, it fits that moniker. Like a sword. It looks like a sword going through it. Um, halfway through the movie, they're even taking the the Nautilus through the canals of Venice, and it's that <laughs> good a profile that it's able to fit through there. And I even had to ask, like, could a ship do that? And the reality is, certain one, certain canals in Venice, yeah. You absolutely could. I mean, I was I was thinking about that, but you could only go straight. Like I'm like, they can't turn nowhere. They're only going straight up the canal and right back. There's no way they're doing anything but that. And it's, it's really great. The um, uh, Jekyll, Jekyll. Jekyll. Oh, I want to talk about this because I think I was watching him, and other than a couple shots for Jekyll, I'm convinced that it's practical. Like either that or it's the best fucking CGI I've ever seen because so it's really really fucking good. Like you're, you're, it's yeah. yeah. So face face is is practical. Face is it's the same actor. I thought for years it was a different actor, but that goes to the acting. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really well done. Uh, the face is practical. At times there is an arm for sure. Standing there, yeah, it's it's practical. But when he's in action, oh yes, yeah, that stuff. But like, it's just the, the mix of that is done amazingly. Like, I think this is like it's it's one of like it's the interactions that they're able to get in between that and and the Rodney character when he's invisible. Like, yeah. this this movie is, I think it's ahead of its time in its in its use of CGI. The problem was it used way too much in the especially in the end there. Like that's. Like it, the over, and that's what I was reading. This like the over reliance on putting too much CGI in was like, a, yeah. So while we love the CGI with uh, Jekyll and Hyde, there's uh, the ending, the abomination. <laughs> I was gonna make the reference later. There, yeah, there. Well, Jekyll's our Hulk. Yeah, and he gets Jekyll's a full he gets a full character arc in this movie as. As compared to, I'll say this, the Avengers, where the Hulk is just introduced. He's a character in the Avengers. But, like, Jekyll and Hyde get, like, a full character arc in this movie. Like, they go through stuff, and Hyde becomes a hero, basically, in this movie. 
yeah, Jekyll and Hyde by far is probably one of the more well done characters in this, and that's the only one you're gonna hear out of. <laughs> that, that's one of the major problems with this film. But again, we'll, we'll get into. I think for yeah, 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 yeah. The but the visuals in terms of the 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 uh, um, the abomination type character, <laughs> um, it really goes to show two improvements because mm -hmm. this guy looks so bad. It looks like a cartoon in a bad way, uh, the bad guy. And then when you go ahead, actually, this is 2003, 2008 is the Incredible Hulk. So five years mm -hmm. when they bring in the abomination into the into the equation, I've always liked the design choices and the CG, yep. what they did with abomination. I like the combination of the face. It feels like what they did was they took the menacing part that was supposed to be this, this hide-like creature took that but instead gave more care with the, what they did with Jekyll and Hyde yeah so it, it, it got better so I, I definitely see that influence there um but yeah Jekyll and Hyde uh probably the it's the transition too the transition phase is oh it's like a Cronenberg movie I fucking love yeah. it so much it's so like twisted and like there's like three different stages of him in mid transformation I love the like the flashing the flashing in between it like I, oh the transformation is beautiful yeah and so, scary so yeah so I, I mean clearly like the, the visual effects are good the scenery uh, we talked a little bit about scenery last week. Mm. The scenery of like Venice, yeah. or even even uh, you can really tell a good visual effects house when they can do water right. I was when they could do water. I was gonna say I didn't love the the water is the one that I think aged the worst of of any visual effect in this movie. Anything to do with the water, like the water on the Nautilus. The Nautilus look itself looks great, but then the water waves in the canal on the Nautilus. I think it just it looked like CGI water, and it's like. That sucks, but it's really hard back then. CGI water yeah. was hard to do up until basically Avatar. Like Avatar was the one that like basically like figured out the foam and the the currents that you need to get the water to look right, I think. True, but to be fair, again, EdgeFX is the one that did the abyss. Yes. Uh so if anybody should be able to do a water oh, yeah. effect. It's good. It's it good for the time. Be, yeah. It's good for the time, but it's the it's one of the only effects that I felt actually didn't age well. Like along with the other stuff, it was like it was the only one that kind of really stuck out to, in my mind. But there's a lot of like CG vista shot, like CG establishing shots, like the whole opening of it, the whole opening going down and giving the intro uh, is like, it's all CG shots and stuff like that. And I think it, it's, you can tell, you can tell, but I think it, it works for the movie because even when we're talking about production design, when they're running, when Sawyer and Quartermain are running through the streets to catch Hyde in Paris, like it looks like a 1930s German expressionist version of Paris. Like the, the, everything's on a weird angle. Things are too long for, for, Roofs are too long for the walls. It just everything looks a little off and a little crooked and a little weird. And I think that it it all adds to this great horror aspect of it. And I think that's one of the things the movie excels in is this kind of atmosphere that it builds. Yeah, it, it absolutely does hit atmosphere really well. And usually it, it's kind of dark. Yes, uh, it, that's that's my biggest. That's my biggest. Yeah, probably my biggest criticism is like, oh man, I wish I could use a little more light in this movie, just a couple more like fill lights. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but it uh, works for so the visual effects. But that that's the yeah. I think that's um, if you watch Corridor Crew on YouTube, they're they're like a LA based uh, VFX like team, and they do like short films and videos and stuff like that. And they break down visual effects and they show like how how visual effects work better. And one of the ways to do it is to basically darken the scene. And you see that a lot actually in the Avengers. The Avengers, a lot of the Avengers is actually pretty dark rewatching it right now. Like there's a lot that's dark up until you get to the battle in New York and stuff like that. There are lots of scenes in the dark and that helps mask certain CG things that aren't up to snuff and helps hide, hide defaults. Yeah. Um, so I, I would love to actually just break down now uh, kind of the meat and potatoes of this story yeah. and the characters with it. and Because uh, that is a lot of what people either are going to really love or hate about this, your, your characters. So the film's directed by Stephen Norrington. Uh, unfortunately, this was the last film Mr. Norrington did. Uh, Hollywood did not forgive him. No. Uh, and I think said they should. Goodbye. <laughs> Um, well, apparently he didn't have a he didn't have a great time on set either. From from what what I've read, no, there was some with the studio interference. Something we'll see a lot of in in other films we'll review in the future. Studio involvement. The studio put way too much input into it and really stressed him out to where he almost had no control over his own film. Yeah. Um. It it really happens within our character. So okay, we have Quartermain. Quartermain is uh, from the Quartermain novels. Uh, um, uh, he's an adventurer in Africa, and you know he he seeks treasure and saves for for country. He's like Sherlock Holmes, only action and gun toting, and he's a keen marksman. Which I think that the whole, especially the action and marksman part, they yeah. show that really well. Yeah. Uh, and Quartermain is also in the original graphic novel. Yes. It, it, this was based on a graphic novel, actually a series of graphic novels. Uh, there were six six volumes, I think. I I've yet to read them. I have I have a couple of them. I have I have yeah. to read them. This is mainly based on the first one. Yeah. Most of it. Uh, Sean Connery does a good job. For if this is Sean Connery's swan song, it's not Sean's fault. It's Sean. I think he's great. I think he's great in this movie. Like he's good. He's like he's he's acting. He's not like he's not phoning it in. He doesn't feel like he's phoning it in. And honestly, I think so. I think we should do this. So you introduce because you have this history with these characters. You know, you actually know most of these characters. What I knew coming into this movie back when I first watched this movie when I was young was the pop culture versions of these characters. Like the broadest scope. Like I was I was a nerd. I read books too. Like I read like a lot of like like silly I re- I was reading Shakespeare when I was young cuz my mom had like extra copies in, in the house and I just loved it. So like I I know of things and I know around it but like i didn't have as much of a knowledge base as you do in this so coming right. into it sean connery was henry jones senior james bond in this movie like that it was like like to me that's who he was he was the evolution of henry jones jr and his james bond and he just mixed into one and i thought that character works perfectly compared to i don't know how it works with exactly with the alan quartermain per se because i would i had never read those stories i knew of yeah. them Quartermain in the original stories and in the graphic novel. Well, the graphic novel, he is about the age that Sean Connery kind of sets in here. But in the novels, uh, he is he's very much a, a middle-aged kind of guy. He's not old by any means. He's an experienced explorer. He's very Indiana Jones yeah. in that. And so it's a fair compromise or a comparison on that. 
Um, and Sean does fine. He really does. Uh, and we see, you know, spoiler alert, uh, Sean Connery dies. And it's really interesting because he goes down being the hero. Mm-hmm. You know, he he also goes down being the instructor. He yeah. he takes on a fatherly role to another character we'll get to momentarily. Um, but he does it really well with panache, with with reverence, with respect. Sean Connery, by far, um, right under Jekyll and Hyde, in my opinion, is the second best written character in this in this story. Mm-hmm. They give him the most to work with, and I really appreciate that. He still needed more. Yeah. He needed more. But what he had and what he was given, you know, you, you don't tell Sean Connery. No. What's interesting about this film, though, uh, and, and this is this is kind of funny to me. He not only t- he turned down before this film, <laughs> the Matrix as the architect, which I think would have been brilliant. He would have been great as that. And he turned down. And I think this is the one he's got to sit on because he never understood it. He turned down the role of Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Dude, listen, and I love Ian McKellen. There's Ian is great as Gandalf. I really would love to even see a screen test. I don't know. What... I, I could see Connery as Saruman, maybe, but like I don't know if I can see him as Gandalf. Like but that makes it it's still more curious to yeah. me. You turned it down, and then you end up doing a film that, in the end, has a seventeen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. See, Tomato. but see, I think I like I think the Indiana Jones, James Bond, like the Alan Quartermain. I think something about that kind of like old school kind of adventurer thing. I think that's what kind of drew him to this. Because I don't think like right. yeah, because he had never really been into like sci-fi and into fantasy like i like like zart what is it zardos when he when he wears that like man key that red mankini that's the closest sci-fi he's ever done right like yeah, I was <laughs> fantasy too him and uh yeah see that's great like that's a but all he has to do for that is go into a booth and voice Ooh. it right so i mean for him that's a little different even though i fucking love that movie we should do that movie yeah. That's a good movie. We'll, we'll get there at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so and and Quartermain, he's our leader. He's uh, he's Sean Connery. He's your lead. He mm-hmm. was your headliner. That's how you get people in. It's your cat. Uh. Ne- yeah. So next down the list uh, is not an actor that's known here in America. Uh. But I, after seeing his resume, uh, forgive me, sir. Uh, Nasiradun Shaw. Uh. He uh played Nemo. Mm-hmm. He is a Bollywood actor. He's a major Bollywood actor. Uh, the guy is renowned all throughout India. He is an Indian actor. Uh, and he plays Nemo as as what you would expect a very exotic type Indian to be, according to 19th century literature. Yes, that's that's another thing with this this movie. It is very, uh, I was going to say, I bring it before. We can get into it when we talked about Mina if we want. But like Sean Connery and Mina's interactions feel like Sean Connery went like, hey, there's a woman in this group. Can I talk a little smack to her? Because, like, like I don't know if that's, like, in the script or if that's a thing Sean Connery's like, hey, I got to I gotta have a little bit of say in, in this script here because it's it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And, like, there's a couple things with, like, the like calling him a pirate and stuff like that, and they make a joke about it later. But, like, the, yes, it is very stereotypical, to say the least, in general. But, like, that's the thing where you straddle the line when you're, when you're in like a night in time, like 1899. And you're like, okay, so how much do you play in to the stereotypes and, and that 
without trying to seem like you are you are exposed like uh you are what is it um you're trying to push them forward right you're trying to you're trying to make them acceptable like how do you how do you ride that line i think this does it okay but there are some times where it's a little little funky in this movie yeah nemo nemo plays the role of the the wise kind of sage in this mm-hmm. so the q character the tech yeah he's got all the toys of course the nautilus is his uh and we are automobile <laughs> it's a six-wheeled elongated actually working vehicle that they made specifically Shit. for this film and it's gorgeous like really the aesthetic lines they make on this as as inconceivable as it is is beautiful like the, the 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 design that they chose for everything in here even down to the weapons the guns mm-hmm. the swords everything they have is just so detailed to the aesthetics of the of 19th century late 19th century literature i absolutely adore that uh and he does a good job as nemo nemo always he's got something wise to say mm-hmm. he's never a jerk and yep. he admits his flaws at times. You mentioned the pirate thing. You know, uh, at first uh, uh, he was called a pirate by Sean Connery, and he, he has a quip about it. And later on he comes back and says, you know what? Yeah, yep. you're right. I am a pirate, but I have a job to do, and I have, a, I have you know, my own integrity. And he's, he's a good character. Um, as we go down this list, we're going to see characters get worse and worse and worse. <laughs> Nemo is not a bad character other than the stereotypes. Yeah. You take that away. Everything else he does is really good in it. Yeah. And has some pretty good action. He's, he's, he's a uh, great fighter. He's got some great fight scenes. Yeah. He's not a gun user. He's a sword user. <laughs> and he's badass with it, too. He's making slices and cuts. Uh, he and Hyde fight the, abo- I'm going to call it the abomination. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Either that or what's, them. who's the guy from Resident Evil 2, right? Like that big, uh, nemesis. You can call him nemesis yeah. if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, he's fighting him. He takes out his sword and he starts just doing a lot of quick. Really, really fast. Going really, 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 really fast. <laughs> you know, and he, he manages to save Hyde right at that point. And it's like, wow. All right, Nemo really good the only thing i don't like it is that his design while stereotypical reminds me of the blue raj job from <laughs> <laughs> he's all in blue and it's a good blue oh my god a mystery like man came out before too mystery man came out at like 99 so it's like they could have like oh no you could have totally avoided that <laughs> yeah. uh so yeah oh that's, man that's Nemo. um mina uh played by peter wilson i love peter wilson uh she's she's not in everything but when she's in it i i really like her uh peter wilson plays mina harker mina harker was uh in literature and and both in this movie uh she was the wife to jonathan harker who in if you don't know bram stoker's dracula was keanu reeves uh and so he um he dies and this takes place after the effect after dracula so in the story of dracula she is bitten and she is turned so in this story, she is a, uh, vampire. a vampire, a full vampire. Uh, and they really play her off to be this very, uh, at the first half of the film, she's this very prim and proper Victorian woman. Exactly. Women aren't scientists. And that's the thing, too. She's a chemist. She's, she's very she's the brain. Mary Curie. She's very Mary Curie. Like, it, like yeah. she's introduced that kind of, kind of got that feel, like that kind of like she had a husband, husband died, and she, she 
she kind of like went on right like kind of like they mix a lot of historic figures and we'll get to that when we when we get into other characters later <laughs> yeah she um but uh she has a relationship with another character and they start to sexualize her a little bit as the film goes along uh you can definitely see it there's a turning point for her character where all of a sudden she starts out in she's got a bun she's got glasses very librarian yeah very victorian librarian at times a uh, little gothic it's got that gothic flair, but it's very prim and proper. There's a point where her hair goes down. Well, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's when she it's when she first bites Venice. bites the guy, right? Like she like in in the I thought it was in the um when they meet Dorian and they have to fight and they have that big fight in the library and she bites the person with with Tom Sawyer. Yeah, they discover her powers, but I don't think that turning point really happens for she, us until after I, Battle of Venice. See, I think the reason she's sexualized is because they sexualize the vampire. Of like in this movie, the va vampirism is like complete. Like that's the idea is that it's completely sexual because when she first bites that guy, she's like she's all hot and horny right after she bites that guy. Like that's what like that's the look she gives Tom and everything. And she's like, don't don't you even come close. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Tom, speaking of Tom, uh, it's important to note Shane West plays Tom Sawyer. So I, and I skipped a character, but since, since well, we'll go back to him. Oh yeah. So Tom Sawyer. It's interesting because, first of all, Tom Sawyer is a complete studio addition. Studio wanted someone that was young and could appeal to young Americans because, as the studio said, Americans don't read. <laughs> Thank you, studio. 20th Century Fox, they're, I'm glad you're purchased by Disney. They're, they were right, though. Honestly, they're right. Like, I mean, like... Seriously though, like if if you put a Tom Sawyer in there, this is it's the only American character. It's I think and but the turn him into this gun toting secret service member. What in the world does the Secret Service have to do with what the heck? Okay. Secret Service Secret Service is like the only issue with it because it's like Yeah, like I don't really buy Tom Sawyer being a Secret Service agent, right? Like I mean like maybe maybe like like the problem is you're in 1899 i don't like i'm trying to remember the history of the united states of what was in place secret service yeah. was the secret service order was on lincoln's desk to yeah. be signed and then he was shot so he yeah. never signed it so the secret service order took effect right after lincoln because i know they had and i know they had different responsibilities at different times in the american system right like and i so the fbi definitely wasn't around then so i think like the only other option would would have been to make him probably like a marshal of some sort right like if that the marshal service and i think that yeah um, because they're a little more kind of like gung-ho and a little more kind of he's definitely the cowboy when you look at his style yeah. he's got that cowboy aesthetic he carries a winchester rifle which nothing is more Western. i love it so much smith and wesson colt <laughs> winchester that's what he's got. And, and him and Sean Connery have this bickering back and forth a little bit because, um, according to Sean Connery, the American style <laughs> is to shoot at everything and hope you hit the target. Yeah. I think that's actually a quote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, hope and hope you have enough bullets for it. Yeah. Uh, Sean Connery is different. He's more methodical. Take your time, which is, you know, something they, they deal with. And he mentors Tom Sawyer. But Sawyer is attracted to Mina Mina said uh, at one point, uh, uh, Sawyer opens up the door for Mina and she says, you're sweet and you're young. 
neither of which are traits I find high in, I hold in high esteem or high in regard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah it's like, so, Oh shit. Tom, <laughs> yeah. Tom's great. Um, we have, uh, the character of Skinner played by Tony Curran. Now what's great is you don't need to know who Tony Curran is because you never go see him. Mm-hmm. You I mean, see his face a little bit. They do a good job of transitioning in from like when he's in the car for the first time, when they sits in the car, he's still like kind of got some of the makeup on and then they cut yeah. to another shot in the car and he obviously has put the, all the, all the makeup on and it's really just Tony Curran sitting there with, with white grease paint all over himself, which that must've been a hell of a makeup day for him. <laughs> so, okay. So the character of the invisible man, uh, okay. Uh, the, he is the <laughs> invisible man, not the invisible man. The studio and all its power couldn't get the rights to the story of the Invisible Man from H.G. Wells. I don't know how, but they couldn't do it. Uh, part of it is also... Um, I'm pretty sure Universal. Universal I was going to say, Universal yeah. Universal rights, too. Yeah. That has something to do with it. Yeah. Uh, but the point is they wanted the Invisible Man. They couldn't get him. So they created this character and called him un-invisible they, man they they general. literally made a thief that stole the original science like a mad scientist formula they thieved the idea with a thief and i love it like it's like okay we'll just get the we'll just steal the idea with a thief and it's great like I, it's it's like yeah. i th- i thought it was and he's a great character because he he rides that line of that kind of original invisible man he's kind of a kind of a not a hero right he's not a good guy Right, and but these guys, okay, so these six are our league, but there is a seventh. We have Stuart Townsend as Dorian Gray. <laughs> now, I actually kind of like him on rewatch. I know you don't like him at okay. all, but like on um, rewatch, I kind of like uh, him. <laughs> Kyle and I have talked about this in the past. I do not like Stuart Townsend <laughs> at all. He did this, and then he did uh, 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 what is it, Queen of the Damned. I hate Queen of the Damned. It is. A, I'm sorry. I love it because it's bad. I love it because it's bad. But, but it's a terrible movie. Uh, and so Stuart Townsend is on my list forever. Of, no, yeah, but he plays Dorian Gray. Now this again. This is why the. Uh, uh, I'll get into it in a second about about the overall theme here. What we're dealing with, but uh, Stuart Townsend plays Dorian Gray, which was a store uh, novel uh, originally written by Oscar Wilde. Uh, in the the mid twentieth or mid nineteenth century, uh, about a man who doesn't age but has a portrait that's made of him that ages for him instead. Uh, what makes this interesting is that this is the Dorian Gray of Hollywood, not the Dorian Gray of literature. Literature lesson here for the moment. Uh, Dorian Gray in the original could look upon his painting all he wanted, his sins and his character was manifested in the painting so it would really show his true insides it's it's a lesson on aesthetics which oscar wilde was big on too this dorian gray is overly hollywood made because literally his weakness is if he looks at his painting he will die so inherently he is an immortal which he also apparently has had past dealings with mina and quartermain and quartermain he went he taught a lecture at quartermain school when quartermain was a boy basically he was he was the adult lecturer at quartermain school uh and he definitely plays the playboy here and he he does that well i'll give him that 
Uh, he really does. But what we find out is that, unfortunately, he is the lackey to our main villain, and he is our, our mole in the organization. Uh, and so there ends up being a fight. And actually a really good fight in the end between him and Mina. Yes. Uh, which, when we're talking about visual effects, uh, both Mina and him, when they're injured, scratched, shot, yeah. whatever, they immediately heal up. And so Mina... Mina, her skin literally heals together and binds. You see it. Dorian, he almost like sand. It's almost like a out. it's like a painting. It, to me, it reminds yeah. me of like a, a like a, a restore or like a unrestored painting, an old falling apart painting that gets restored into a full painting. And like I thought that worked well. My only other critique about the CG of this movie is Dorian's death because I remember it being very Last Crusade like very good Donovan level quality stuff. And it is very bad. Like it is, it is not good. <laughs> Just like Tom Sawyer, he was added in. He was never in the really? original. Yes. Dorian Gray was never in the original, uh, um, uh, graphic novel. Uh, mm. so he was added in to kind of add that foil yeah. thing. And again, Dorian Gray is a good character. I love the story. I've read it many times. Um, and it's, it's, it's a really great example. And Townsend does well with what it is. Yeah. I just don't like Townsend. We, we so, talked, we talked a little earlier about maybe that they, they kind of mixed Oscar Wilde in with Dorian Gray. Like they kind of, yeah. because, because of this, they are kind of playing with the pop culture-ness of these, these characters and they're kind of adjusting them and making them kind of superheroes that they kind of took a little bit of his, of of his creator and and mix them in because he was this playboy he was this kind of flirt with everybody and he was this kind of like this kind of world wanderer right like the kind of a mix between the two of them instead of just the Dorian Gray yes but despite what we'd like to think in Dorian Gray being our villain he is not our main villain <laughs> our main villain actually is quite plain and yet complex at the same time so Richard Roxburgh, who I'm sure in the future we will talk about him whenever we get to Van Helsing. Oh. Uh, yeah, so uh, he plays uh, M. Well, we meet him as M. Which is so, another great James Bond reference in the movie. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, in the original graphic novel, we meet Commander Bond's grandfather. So James Bond's grandfather yeah. is a character in in, in okay. uh, uh, the, the graphic novel. So he plays M, who, if you're not familiar with Bond lore, M is the head of MI6. So he's recruiting the League to stop everything and to bring everyone together. Uh, but there's also this bad guy that we meet in the very beginning who is wearing a silver phantom uh, phantom mask. Calls himself the phantom. Himself the phantom so <laughs> a little dramatic. dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what we discover is, uh-oh, M is the Phantom. Because <laughs> we didn't see that coming. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so his whole thing is is kind of the, they're actually very Joker-esque. Like, yeah. I want chaos. I want to see the world burn. And he's going to do whatever he, he can. He just wants to make more. the most money off of it. That's all he wants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then we find out that M is actually Moriarty. So Professor Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes, and they do a good job with him too because he mentions Reichenbach, yeah. Which in the, in the uh, in and the this stories, is after the second yeah, movie. This is after yeah, Reichenbach um, falls. He had survived. He, yeah. he survived the the death, the fall at Reichenbach. Uh, so he is our main villain, and he's trying to get a world war started. About twenty years short, dude, but we'll get there. <laughs> 
Um, and he's very over the top, which is something we see in Richard Roxburgh. Uh, another one, if you really want to see Richard Roxburgh go overboard, is in Moulin Rouge. Oh, geez, he, I haven't seen he that plays one. plays the same manic guy <laughs> in a lot of the things that he does. And he's really good at that. Yeah. He's good at playing that manic, over-the-top character. Um, what we get when we put all of these guys together is a lot of action. Nothing wrong with that. The action is good. Mm -hmm. The story is not. And that's a failure because yeah. the um, the graphic novel is really good. It's very dark. It's very twisted. But it finds a lot of these characters together in very good ways. Now, if you want to throw in Tom Sawyer, you want to throw in Dorian Gray, no problem with that. I need to care. This, If I was a normal person who, like the studio say, don't read, I'm not going to care about these characters. I read, I cared about these characters, but in the end, I sat there going, what happened? I love them because of nostalgia. Yeah. I love them in my own way, and that's why they're, it's good in that respect. I like those aspects of it, but if you're not familiar with it, you don't have that advantage, and I think that's where it really hits the 17%. It's not in the visual effects. It's not in the music, which, again, the music, like it's The Mummy, fine. it's good music, but you're not going to remember it. Yeah, You will not yeah. sit and remember it, unlike a certain theme that we will get to oh. when we talk about The Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just we, we don't care about these characters. At the end of the day, we still have to ask ourselves, when we put this on the, on our list to review – why do we love it? It's fun. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, this was our Avengers. We didn't have any Avengers to look at. We didn't have a Justice League. We didn't. We had Power Rangers. I think that's about as close as we got. Well, look at the opening you know, scene. Even the opening scene, like like coming back to it, like they they take a tank and they plow it through London, and it's practical. Like all of this stuff, you can see they're smashing through these bookcases and things, and they're blowing stuff up. And there's like uh, London police with billy clubs trying to like, what are we supposed to do to this tank? <laughs> and it's like it's. And it's just, it, it's constant. There's, it has this pace to it up until about, about three quarters of the way through until the third act, the, you start to lose that pace a bit. But like, it's got this pace to it that I think the Avengers like perfected. Like the Avengers has that perfect pace to it. And we'll get to that eventually. Yeah. And the interesting thing here is, is as characters are introduced, they are always introduced with some kind of an action scene at some yep. point. Jekyll and Hyde, it's catching Hyde, and he's running atop the rooftops of London. Uh, oh, and then the so netting him, netting him into the into the ship. That's a wicked. Yeah, that's a really good sequence. They mm. did that well. Uh, when they meet Dorian Gray, uh, they come together. We we M meets our heroes, or well Moriarty, yeah. Phantom, whatever. <laughs> uh, meets our guys, and then there's a fight right then and there. All the all and the the pieces of books and and the pages flying in there it's it's a great action scene <laughs> there's a soldier he points up his gun it's the first time we see nemo with his sword points the gun at nemo and he's like what are you gonna do he's like i walk a different path he takes out a sword just kicks it's right there and that's a good line but i walk a yeah that was cool yeah everything is always encompassed in an action scene uh, and then everything that's in between feels awkward, like they're trying to be funny. There's a scene that's really strange to me. Um, Quartermain is in his cabin aboard the Nautilus, and he's 
doing research, reading. I don't know exactly what he's doing, which is part of the problem. Uh, but he, he hears something fall, and he turns out the light. Oh, and yeah. then you hear a scuffle, and he's like, Skinner! Next time, oh, that's the other thing. Skinner, invisible, is completely naked. Yeah, he's, he has to be yeah. naked to be invisible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's like, next time I want to see you with all your clothes on, and he throws them out. But like, that's it. Why is that there? Yeah, there's nothing else in that scene. There, it must have been, there must have been something deleted, or that must, you know what that must have been? It must have been because I think there was definitely added scenes because they're like, wait, we can't believe that Dorian did this. Like, there's no, there's like, he didn't like show anything or something like that, right? Like, why do people believe Skinner did this? So we have to add in a scene to make, make it seem like Skinner is an antagonist or stuff like that, right? Because it's, it's a little, the Skinner Dorian thing is a little flimsy because like, so our, our, our audience knows the master plan is is to create World War One, and Moriarty is going to do that through technology, but also by harnessing the power of the League. Uh, so he got Quartermain to capture Hyde so he can get the serum, Hyde serum. Uh, he got Mina's blood so he has vampiric blood. Uh, he got a skin sample from the Invisible Man so he could have the invisible uh and then nemo's science as he puts it so he's taking pictures of the nautilus and all the technology yeah. that goes with that so he's combining all of those aspects together and is selling them off to both sides to start a, a, a world war um and then he does he gets all this done on the ship through dorian um and that's the other thing too which we'll see in similarities when we start talking about avengers here in a minute um there's a structural thing going on that Avengers does yeah. that Avengers does way better. Yes. But it, there's a structure that hits home each way. Well, it's like I mummies think. and raiders like we talked about, right? Like they, they these types of movies, whether or not they're good or bad, they follow a certain type of structure, right? There's a certain way that they kind of break down and they go, right? Like most of this movie is them getting together. Right, like getting getting together and, and preparing for the big battle. And like like the Avengers. The Avengers don't get together for the big battle until three quarters of the way through the movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And we really don't get everyone together completely until the, the final yeah. uh the final battle in they're in Mongolia, I think. Yes. I think it's, really that's, that's the that's another part where it's like I had to rewind it twice to realize like Skinner sent them a heading because he he yeah. was hidden in the thing. Like that was a little convoluted, but like it proves that Skinner is not a bad guy. So that was that was good. Um so I, I think I think to really give this a comparison to kind of see why we love it. Let's talk about the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. We have to talk about the Avengers. So the Avengers 2012. The movie event. I mean, put yourself in that time, okay? I we was had there. Five, <laughs> five MCU films, okay? We've been building up to this. We have been waiting to see what is going to happen, and we knew we wanted to see these guys come together. And this film did it right. It is a ninety-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's well deserved. It's near perfect. Uh, it is a near perfect film, uh, directed and written by Joss Whedon. And I have, I actually, there's an issue that popped up in this movie with Joss Whedon writing and directing this movie that, that we'll talk about a little later. But like, it's something that I didn't notice until I, because I just started recently watching Firefly. And there's some Joss Whedon isms in Firefly that, that I've been listening to Whitney Seibold and, and William Bibiani talk about, where it's like, oh man, like, I didn't realize that's what he did in this movie too. But sorry, go ahead. We'll, we'll get to that later. 
good visual effects with this one. Yeah, we yeah we talked about that a lot. Yeah. While um while League went with one house, um, Marvel. Well, actually, at the time too, it wasn't Disney. It was Paramount. Paramount and Marvel Studios uh, went with fourteen different visual effects houses. They went through ILM. They went. I mean, they pretty much were going through every major mm-hmm. one. And what they were doing, we're going, okay, what is your specialty? What can you do? What can you do? They, they, what I called, they batman it. You remember Batman <laughs> Begins where he says, we're going to build this part from China. Yeah. And then we're going to get this part from a separate house. Out, you know, and like they're bringing everything together. That is what they did in Avengers with mm-hmm. the visual effects. They brought so many different pieces together and orchestrated it beautifully because it looks good it still looks it good. looks amazing we've seen stuff from 2012 that does not look good still this is beautiful well this this like uh, there are parts where it looks like you can t- there's some issues i have with civil war and it's floaty head syndrome like i think that like in the in the airport scene it looks like it really looks green screeny and like they're sitting on a sitting on Tony's sitting on a bobblehead on his on his on his uniform but like when Tony's laying on the ground in the battle of New York like it's it's there you can only tell because they have his helmet wrapped around his head a little bit that that's CGI but it's it is so much cleaner than even Civil War and it's because it's the first time they were able to get all these guys together I think that they really put their all into this movie yeah, the sets for that, too, were a beautiful mix of CG and practical. Uh, when they're on the actual streets of New York, every bit of that is practical. Yeah. They built a rubbled out – it's green screened behind them if you watch the behind the scenes. But the whole bars and stuff, that not – you think, too, when, like, Hulk throws a car or uh, an alien's going to shoot, you think that's CG. They practical in front of actors. Like, that's impressive. The amount of work that went into that to to get that realism and that feeling as they're fighting and the choreography that goes into that, because the Chitauri are all CG. Yes. Our 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 aliens are all CG, and I'm sure they've got a couple of stunt guys on set to to help out. But I would bet dollars to donuts that there was quite a bit of of miming and yeah. work and stuff like that to to make that work. Um, I think the production design too. Like one of the one of my favorite things is the way that the ship, like the shield ships, look, and like the interior, the just just the the angles and the the computers, the see through screens, all the, the the entire. And this has been in the Marvel universe before, but like this entire aesthetic of this semi futurism that they have, right? This this really like slickness to it all. Like it's it's like it's it could be now, but. 10 or 15 years from now if we're really lucky if we're really hope really good <laughs> and i had to, i know i had talked about uh the ship in the first one so i think it's only appropriate <laughs> to talk about the helicarrier yes the helicarrier is beautiful mm-hmm. uh, when we're introduced to the helicarrier first it looks like they're just on an aircraft carrier like anything else cap comments on that like yeah. uh, he says i bet this all looks pretty uh pretty unreal to you no actually this part's familiar <laughs> yeah um then when I was like, you guys might want to get inside, and they think it's going to be a submarine, uh, but it, it's a helicarrier. It mm. lifts up out of the ground, or uh, not out of the ground, out of the water. And again, water effects, beautiful water Amazing effects. water effects, yeah. And, and you see it rise up, and just that, that, that process of going up into the air and getting 
you know, fully airborne. It's got that score and too. Then, yep. Yes, to the gets the score. <laughs> uh, but then even the simple touch as having stealth panels underneath the retro reflectors. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. It, and it the, just, the phases, the phases that it go through too, it's not just like they turn it on and it just like automatically goes like it, there's about three phases that it goes through and it eventually gets more and more, more and more see through. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, just one of the similarities between the two is, is the fact that we have a base, we have a base of operations yeah. while, you know, league, we have the Nautilus here. It's the helicarrier. Um, so I, I guess we, we've got to go through our characters. We, we really got to bring in our team. What do, has not already been said? So our leader, our leader of everything is Cap. Captain yeah. America. Steve Rogers, played by Chris Evans. Um, he's the soldier. <laughs> what he's can the you say? He's, what can you say? He's other than, other than my, my, one of my biggest issues with this movie since day one is that cowl. That fucking cowl is like the worst thing ever put on somebody's head ever. Like it makes it like it like puffs his face out. Like I don't get it. Like I don't get why they would do that. Like halfway through the fight, they rip it off and he doesn't have it on anymore. It's like, thank God. But like just as soon as he puts it on, he looks like a 12 year old cosplaying as Captain America. And I hate it because like because blame that on Coulson. This is the best Captain America has ever looked (laughs) right here. Isn't that the World War Two? That's that's that is Captain America from the first Avenger. It's like legit, like wicked, realistic combat armor. Yeah. And they fucked it up. (laughs) You got to think, though, too. it's based on the original comic design. Yeah, I get that. I get what they were playing with. And I will say that throughout the films, the improvements on his costume yes. is really well done. Yeah, the Winter Soldier one is really nice too. Yeah, and then oh, Age of Ultron's cool. Yeah. I love Endgame. Even Endgame, how it's yes. still it's modernized and yet it's still it's armor. Yeah, it's beautiful. But let's let's stick with Avengers. Um, he's the heart. He's our leader. He is the heart of the team. And he does that very well. He's got the moral center. Uh he's also the butt of a lot of jokes. <laughs> and I I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, um, um, then we have Thor, played by Chris Hemsworth. He, he, he really Thor looks is- like he's cosplaying as Thor in this movie. Like, I mean, compared, like, only compared because he looks so good in Ragnarok and and Onward, right? Like, like even like even Dark World, I think he like he fills out a little bit more. Like, he looks he looks small. Like, like sitting standing next to Captain America, Thor looks small, and I was like. Wow, like I was surprising rewatching it how small he looked. He's great. He's he's still amazing. I love the. I wish they would keep keep that old English that they that they kind of had going because I really like that kind of that kind of dialogue that he had originally. Uh, we we have Black Widow introduced to us uh, in Iron Man Two, played by Scarlett, beautifully by Scarlett Johansson, one of my favorite uh, overall characters. I'm so disappointed that I have to wait longer for the Black Widow movie. Um, I'm disappointed that it came out after she died because I really like it's like I don't care as much anymore like she she uh, so we're introduced to her in this film mind you we haven't seen her since Iron Man 2 tied up so our our introduction to her is she's tied up in a chair in a slinky outfit beautiful red hair just gorgeous and she's being interrogated by these Russian people uh, these Russian military-esque people. Um, 
and they've got her, and she seems like everything. And then all of a sudden, a phone rings, and, and the guy's like, what? And they pick up the phone, they're like, hello? And it's Colson on the other line, and he's like, you know, put her on. And, <laughs> and so they give her the phone, and she's like, I'm interrogating these guys. And the look on their faces is like, like, what? what? Like, no, they're giving me, they're telling me everything. And <laughs> that sets up the Loki moment later in the movie. Yeah, it sets yeah. up the Loki moment. Um, but he, uh, uh, she's like, uh, they call her in. She's got a, her job is to go get the Hulk. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it in a minute. Um, so uh, she's like, hold on a second. Hands them back the phone. They put the phone down. And then she instantly gets up and kicks ass for about 30 seconds while still in the chair, breaks the chair to get out of it and beat them all down, grabs the phone and goes on her business. Like, it's just the most badass it's like, and like this is this is where the first Joss Whedon thing popped into my mind was was the slinky black dress jiggle like she's she's jiggling quite a lot in that fight scene like like and I was like I I'm not complaining it's just very clear it's very like it's very apparent that like like she's a she's a spy and Joss Whedon put her in a very sexy slim black dress and tied her to a chair and made her fight and jiggle around and then she picks up those high heels and walks out barefoot and fucking Gwyneth Paltrow walks around barefoot in Tony's fucking apartment too does does Joss Whedon have a fucking foot thing like Tarantino like what the fuck I don't understand like I just noticed this shit but it's like why are the only two women in this movie oh. walking around bare fucking foot? Like, this is weird. This shit is weird, man. I don't yes. get it. <laughs> and we're, we're introduced. It's a little thing, but if you're a fan of the MCU at all, we're introduced to the mystery of Budapest. So her and Hawkeye through this whole whole MCU have this talk about what happened in Budapest, and we never know. So I'm secretly hoping we we're getting it. what Budapest is in the Black Widow movie. I think we're getting it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, she, she's best buddies with Hawkeye. Yeah. Her and Hawkeye have a connection, um, which leads to Hawkeye. So Hawkeye introduced in, uh, briefly in Thor, very briefly in Thor. I really liked. Uh, I, I wish they did more, but like I really, I was stoked when they introduced Hawkeye in Thor. Like I was, I was rooting for him. He, uh, he is a Shield agent who is basically brainwashed. It's uh, fucked right Luke. away. <laughs> yeah, right away. God damn it. He's our bad guy. Yeah, and but... internal knowledge and... But he yeah. never... Uh, this is the thing. I've noticed it since the first time I watched it. He... Hawkeye doesn't fucking miss. Hawkeye does not miss, except when he's shooting at his team. Then he misses. He purposely doesn't kill shot. He doesn't like he kill shots the guys for Loki when they go into the go into the museum. But anytime a shield agent or Nick Fury or anything like that, he's not shooting to kill. Okay. He doesn't kill any so, of them. So I have some personal insight to Hawkeye. Oh yeah. Two two reasons of personal insight. Number one, played by Jeremy Renner. Where I live, Jeremy Jeremy Renner grew up thirty minutes. From oh there. shit. Oh yeah. So I yeah we when Jeremy Jeremy will come back down. He does every so often, oh, cool. and he'll do things for schools. He'll do charity events, things like that for his local home. Sweet. Same as George Lucas. So if yeah. you know anything about George Lucas, you'll know where he's from. Oh, he's, they're from the same. They're from the same place. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Anyway, uh, uh, but okay, I I in uh, for the last three years in college, I've been an archer. I took up archery. I love archery. I'm, I'm not. I am no Hawkeye, no Legolas, 
but I'm pretty good at it, and I've studied it, and I enjoy it thoroughly. I, it's something I'm probably going to continue well into my old age. I really like it. I got to get back into it. I used to do it a lot as a kid. Hawkeye's archery technique is shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Archer is sitting there going, I used to. I used to listen to Joe Rogan so much, like I, before, before like a bunch of a bunch of things. But like hearing him go off on how bad Hawkeye shoots a bow is like one of the funniest fucking things in the world. <laughs> they switched him. They switched him up. Jeremy's a lefty. While Hawkeye usually is not a lefty. He's a lefty. It's a little thing. But it's really nuts. I'm sitting there going, "No, this is incorrect. You are wrong." Sir, the way he pulls a yeah. bow, when you watch him, when he pulls a bow, the way he holds it, the way he, everything is like, no, no, Legolas was more realistic than you, and that was great. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, and that's funny, you know, I clench up Legolas. I, I love the reference. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Jeremy Renner eventually gets uh, gets the crap knocked out of him, and he comes to his senses, and he joins the fight, which actually kind of plays, too, into later films that Hawkeye is a part of. And I like mm-hmm. that aspect of it with the, the widow, the relationship he has with yeah. or not widow uh, was a uh, Scarlet witch. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. She, she was on the other team and she's like, he, he understands that. She, yeah. She tries the mind manipulation yeah. and he's like, Nope, that's not going to happen again. <laughs> yeah. No, and he, I like that, but I like that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, Nat, Nat goes to pick up Hulk in what I felt was the missing scene out of Avengers Endgame, where Hulk meets Nat in this in this exact apartment and tells her that, and she asks him, "Was it worth it?" and blah blah blah. But like I felt they were missing that scene in Endgame. But <laughs> which uh, for many people was an interesting controversy when this happened. So I remember when the Avengers cast was formally announced. This was a big deal because Ra, uh, 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 RDJ blew it. RDJ messed it up oh, did <laughs> so bad. It was Comic-Con. I believe it was Comic-Con. He, everybody's out on stage. He's introducing people as they're coming out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like yeah. We're doing yeah. it right now. And he says, he says, reprising his role as Dr. Bruce Banner, the Incredible Hulk, and everyone's expecting Ed Norton to walk out because he said reprising. Yeah. Mark Ruffalo. And the, just the crowd went. <laughs> just like, but it was a definite what What? (laughs) he is amazing he is a great bruce banner um and the uh traditionally and you saw it in the ang lee one uh and in this one a little bit too they would use a lou ferrigno bass yeah uh those those who don't know in the 70s and 80s he was the original incredible hulk and has made cameos he was in ang lee's incredible hulk as well as or Ang Lee's Hulk, yeah. <laughs> the Incredible Hulk. He does cameo yeah. in both. Um, but he was also the voice. He's pretty much of... animated ones, too. Like, he's pretty much done, like, all animated. Like He's been yeah. the Hulk. Uh, but Mark Ruffalo is my Bruce Banner. Yeah, he like, is. I never for once believed that Bruce Banner was any, or that uh, Ed Norton was any kind of scientist. Yeah, it was a little hard to. It was a. I I liked Incredible Hulk. Don't get me wrong. I really liked Incredible Hulk. It was fun. But yeah, I, Ed Norton definitely didn't give off the scientist vibe. He, I could only imagine what like the seed like 
the scene like ed norton in that scene instead of mark ruffalo when they're all like fighting they're all like in in real tense around the scepter like it just doesn't fit because ed norton has this energy this this kind of anger energy that it would just he would turn into the hulk then and there right like he's he wouldn't be this shy timid guy that's slowly slowly getting turned and picks up the scepter like like ruffalo does but he's he's got this balance that I really like and, and has what I argue is the best scene in the whole movie, which is when he finally arrives and they've all uh, assembled uh, and, and they're like, uh, you know, you might want to suit up, Dr. Banner. He's like, that's the thing, Cap. That's my secret. I'm always I'm angry. Always angry. Yeah. Or he says, you might want to get angry. Yeah. I'm always angry and instantly transforms. Yeah. But I like that because it's a buildup from what we started at the very end of the Incredible Hulk movie, mm-hmm. I think he starts to figure that out yeah. and how to control that anger. But he is always angry. And I like that. That aspect of it really played into it well. Um, and it, it really makes a good team up. Uh, our supporting characters in this aren't so supporting, in my opinion, but that's where they have to fit. Uh the man, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. He has the worst line in this movie. This this is yeah. one of the, like from 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 day one. This is one of those lines where it's uh, they're they get in the sh- the helicarrier for the first time, uh, and they're talking about the gamma ray, like tracking gamma rays, right? And then yeah. Banner goes is like, we need to track so and so satellites. And then Sam Jackson goes, how many are there? And like it's just the the reading, the crossing his arms. I don't know why, but every single time it sticks out to me as like the one line where it's like. Why is this stuck in here? This is like one of the worst like readings or one of the worst like like I just don't get it. Like it's so weird. And it's like and it's a it's a nitpick. It's like there's two like I said, there are now three things, rewatching with the Joss Whedon thing, three things I don't like about this movie. That's Sam Jackson line, Captain America's cowl, and then we'll get to the the final Joss Whedon thing when we get the, to the it. The thing and Sam Jackson gives us something that is really important because now in comic books uh, and and in all other animated media, the portrayal of of uh, Nick Fury is now Sam Jackson's version. Yeah, uh, Nick Fury originally was a white guy. Mm-hmm. He was David he, Hasselhoff. He was, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's true. And even before he uh, was David Hasselhoff, he was David Hasselhoff. That was basically his so his design. <laughs> it's changed the game. And Nick Nick Fury is a great character that th- he I believe behind robert downey jr now has been in in the most pretty close yeah to yeah i think if close if not it. he'd be about tied yeah 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 he's pretty close mm-hmm. um he he's been in so many from the very beginning with the avengers initiative by the way one of the best deleted scenes that was never done have you seen this in the original iron man where he says you know we've got men who crawl on walls oh we, yeah uh, he yeah. mentions mutants yeah. and spider-man because they couldn't get the rights to those, they had to change it yeah. to the ending that they have. You think you're the only one. <laughs> anyway, um, but he's he's really great. He is he is the the man behind the curtain, although he has no problem showing his face. <laughs> uh, as we get to see in uh, in um, uh, Winter Soldier, King Kick-Ass. Oh, yeah. And I really like that. We have Maria Hill, played by Colby Smulders. Uh, she gets a little to do. It's so great to see her in this other... It's something... Other than how I met your mother. Have you seen Stumptown? I'm gonna I'm gonna plug Stumptown because Stumptown is fucking awesome. Everybody should go watch yeah. Stumptown. 
Yeah. I love Kobe's mother. She's yeah. another one that is carrying throughout the MCU. Mm-hmm. And then the man, the true heart of agent of the agents of Shield, Agent Phil Coulson. I thought his first name was just Agent. <laughs> he's he's played by yeah. Clark Gregg. He's he's great. I love I love the first time he shows up in the movie when they're when he pops into the uh into Tony's tower there with Pepper and and there's he's like Phil, why is he Phil? <laughs> No, I, I, I love I, I still laugh at that every time that it was like, no, uh I thought his first name was Agent. <laughs> you know, Tony just I Tony being Tony. Yeah. Uh but he Phil Coulson is the the catalyst that happens. Um on the helicarrier, Loki I haven't even got to Loki yet. Uh <laughs> Loki Loki kills him. Basically, mm-hmm. right then and there. Um and it's the catalyst that sets everything forward for the team for the Avengers to work together. Finally, because together, as they've yeah. interacted with each other, they don't get along. Their egos clash, they're yelling and sniping at each other and fighting, and you know, his death is that catalyst to get everything going. But luckily, and again, if you're a fan of the Agents of Shield, he's not dead. <laughs> well, he was dead, and then now he's not. Well, and then well, remember he was again. Magical place. Yeah. <laughs> I have I have to anyway, catch up on the last two seasons, so I am so behind. <laughs> I'm so behind on that. Uh anyway, but he's he's really uh really great in that. And then our villain, our our main guy, Loki, Tom Hiddleston, every girl's wet dream, apparently. <laughs> I keep getting told he, this and I don't he, get it. He screen tested he screen tested for Thor. He 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 was almost actually Thor, which would have been even weirder. <laughs> yeah. he's so scraggly i've seen yeah. him, i've seen shirt off pictures and he's it, not really i've seen his i've seen the test footage of him as thor it looks weird he's very skinny <laughs> uh, um, so he's he's loki he's loki amazing he's conniving he's oh. in this okay here's the thing loki gets better over time yeah i do not like loki in general for an avengers after that, when they start to really write it better, when he like gets really a character, when he actually gets character, it's one of the few things in Thor: The Dark World that I really like is Loki's arc. Yeah, Loki's really good in that. Otherwise, don't watch Dark World, please. It's just don't yeah. waste your time. Um, people think <laughs> Iron people think Iron Man Two is the worst MCU movie. Fuck off. <laughs> no, Dark World. No. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Uh, chemistry with Natalie Portman, my ass. Yeah. Uh, Sam Rockwell no, in any movie does not make it the worst movie ever made. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, so Tom Hiddleston is Loki. He's he commands a uh, army of the Chitari, who has given him to I to uh, you know uh, spoiler alert by Thanos. Thanos. Um, and that, by the way, this was the not the first film in the MCU to give us a post credit scene, but gave us our first look at Thanos. Yeah. And I remember, I remember sitting in theaters watching that. I remember Thanos popping up and going, "Holy fucking shit! Are they actually gonna do this? Are they actually like, is this, is this, is this what is actually gonna lead up to?" And we got so, it. So here's okay. I love this film. The visual effects are beautiful. The score, Alan Silvestri's score. I talked last week briefly about how, like Superman, John Williams' score really just undertoned everything, and it felt like the music was talking to you and pulling you along. This does the same thing, especially 
with the Avengers theme. I, I, I think my biggest issue is that the Avengers theme is pretty much the only theme that really does that in the movie. Like, like they use, and they use it a lot and to good effect. And I, and I enjoy it, but like, there's not really other than black Sabbath. There's not a Iron Man theme. There's not a captain America theme, right? Like eventually we get those themes later on, right. With And like black Panther gets a theme because, because Louis Gorenson is the greatest composer probably working right now. Uh, but anyway, uh, but yeah, this, this score is great, but I think that like it is, and it, it goes into, again, what Whitney Seibold and William Bibiani have been talking about recently is that these superhero films are very military propaganda pieces. Like, and like rewatching the Avengers with that kind of in mind, the score and the way they shoot shield, it's, it's very pro-military. And, and that is to whether or not you find that a pro or a con. Like, I think it, I think it just adds another layer to it that, that is is very it's very interesting to say the least nowadays yeah yeah, yeah. um so I, I i now what's fair is we've kind of set this up we have to put these up against each other and it's not that one is one is better <laughs> you saying it's not that one is better than the other one is very clearly better than the other i'll give you one that like like the, the avengers the avengers is i will say right now a classic movie it is it was only released eight years ago but like it will go down as one of the best movies ever made i think right. like i think it is very clearly one of one of the best even stu studio films ever made like it's it is yes. a co perfect cohesion of ideas i think right um but that tone that you get from from this idea of the superhero film this definitely matches each other right mm -hmm. because you've got the introduction of the team you have the arguing and the infighting between each other. You have a set base that yeah. is really cool. It's really <laughs> yeah. You have the destruction of said base in the same film. You know, uh, and then you have uh, the 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 big culmination or the reveal that's a problem in in um, uh, in Avengers. It's I think the death of Coulson. Uh, and in League, it's probably once they realized that um, that uh, Dorian was was the double agent. Yeah. Once that happened, and they you know they began yeah. to have a focus together. Um, uh, actually, no, I, I would say probably the, the the attempted destruction of the Nautilus. I think even more. Uh, yeah. There's a bomb yeah. scene where the Nautilus. Yeah, is but that, that's kind of the same. That's Dorian. Dorian planted though, so that's kind yeah. of the same. That's kind of the same sequence. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. but yeah um, I would... they hit that and then they they have to come together they have to get you know figure out where are we going what's gonna happen i don't know where we're gonna go and they yeah. have to work together to figure it out both films do that yep they have to figure it out and fix everything uh, and then we're gonna have one final match or you know one final fight uh in the end against the bad guys uh the difference is that the league kills off our bad guy yeah. Avengers does not, which it which, works in that. And case. I think they learn based. I think that's something they learn from, especially with like early like uh, Marvel movies. Even like you look at like one from Stephen Norrington himself, uh, Blade, because he he was the original director of Blade, was he not? Like he killed off Deacon Frost right away. So like you could keep. It was just the idea that you would you just kill off these bad guys. Even Marvel had an issue with that for the longest time. Loki was the only reason Loki came back is because he's pretty much the only one they didn't kill off starting in in the first phase yeah. of the Marvel movies, right? Like like all the rest of their villains were gone. 
So it's like I think they they were starting to learn that it's like they need to build and they need to continue to use villain. The formula for each of these teams is very similar as well. You have Quartermain and Tony. I earned Quartermain and Cap. Excuse me. Yeah. Quartermain, Quartermain and Cap are the leaders, uh, kind of the heart of the team. You you have your technological person, uh, which in this case Nemo and League. Uh, your tech guy kind of is Tony. Yeah. Like Tony oh yeah. Fits into your, yeah. your technology guy. Um, you Jekyll and Hyde in your Hulk. Yeah. It's Jekyll very Hyde, very easy. Yeah. One. <laughs> interesting one to me is that each team at this point only has one female member mm -hmm. and both are highly sexualized yeah. women okay so i'm gonna bring i'm gonna bring up this now because this is this was the other one thing that really like stuck out to me this watch was when bruce turns for the first time on the helicarrier he uh, he hits natasha away that's fine whatever right like he's the hulk whatever but when when they confront each other right again hulk is like about to backhand Natasha to death. Like that's that's the scene. Like he is holding his arm up like this about to backhand Natasha. And watching Firefly and the way Joss Whedon treats women and like his liberal use of the word whore and just like like and the the look that like she like curls up into a ball. And like when when Clint comes on, she's like shaking and and responds to the radio, right? Like just this this position that Whedon puts widow in in this kind of like battered woman position and then later on we all want them to get together in like age of ultron they're like lovey-dovey and they're sweet and it's like it's this weird domestic abuse thing that's really awkward considering the the history of joss weed now it's it's it just felt really strange and i, I this is the literally the first time i've noticed it and i've watched avengers way more than i watched league of extraordinary gentlemen probably like dozens of times now 100 like 50 times at least probably but yeah beat for beat team construction everything uh with the exception i think of the score the visual effects is pretty much it's the same film yeah it really is except avengers avenger what i think the advantage that avengers has besides time and much better visual effects houses apparently <laughs> all works. of them well you get Sorry, all of I, them <laughs> uh, yeah, they probably had edge working on them <laughs> somewhere yeah yeah you see that car that flipped over that was edge. Yeah. That was edge. i don't know um what you get here is i think it's the pacing is my biggest matter thing. of pacing and yeah. timing yeah uh league of extraordinary gentlemen is just under two hours mm -hmm. avengers a little over two hours but what you're facing is the fact that the League did not have a build-up. Yeah. League did not have five movies before it. League did not have comic books, which are in the pop culture mainstream. He didn't. They don't have that. Well, they had a comic book. But it, even then, well, that comic book was a independent comic. It was Vertigo, right? So it's like it's not even – It's it wasn't a main mainline popular comic book. But, but Avengers has had time. Yeah. Avengers had time to age. So I think that kind of plays to its advantage. Yeah. I'd like to think personally, what would have happened if done properly, even within its time, we could have had these kind of action-based... Alan Quartermain with Sean Connery, and then you do a Tom Sawyer movie where he's like a U.S. Marshal. You do a Mina Harker movie where she's a vampire. Yeah, like build build it up to it, right? Like if they I think we could have had the same thing as the Avengers, we would have had time to care for these characters, yeah. and that's the problem. I, I I said it earlier. As 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 a book lover, I care about these characters. Yeah. Take that away, 
you don't care. That's the most, the biggest egregious flaw in this. But if you can even get, if you can get beyond that, if you could just look at it for the gun-toting, shooting around, bomb-blowing, vampire-sucking time that it is, then it's, it's a, a fun, fun film. Time. It's, it's a great time. Avengers, unfortunately, is a great time. It's a great film. It doesn't stop. Like that's, I think that's my biggest takeaway from the Avengers again, watching it again now, is the, the pacing. Like it, it's always there's always the next scene always moves the story along. There's really no downtime. Like that's the where like league league takes a couple times to to settle down and to like have a little a little slowdown. The Avengers is like, no, we don't have time for that. We need to go. Shit needs to get done. <laughs> But so I think I think that, yes, I think that definitely League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is not as good as the Avengers. That is very clear. That is ne that was never the, the idea. But I think it is a hell of a lot better than 17 percent. I think it holds up a lot better than people give it credit for. And I think that that it deserve. I think it deserves another watch. I think people deserve to Absolutely. deserve to watch it again. So, yeah, I, I think that's a fair final thought on it. So, um yeah uh next week next week uh i think we need to do something maybe a little more serious Ooh. something a little futuristic maybe uh maybe we can do a little running running where are we gonna run what are we running from harrison ford apparently oh and what yeah. what is what is harrison ford chasing uh i believe he's chasing replicants ai or the question of what is humanity and Ooh, I think these are some deep thoughts. So what do we put up against the great Blade Runner? There's something fell against the great Blade Runner. What do we put up against Blade Runner? I think we've got to look at something that uh, tries to do the same thing, uh, but has that much more action packed. Blade Runner is a slow burn, and we'll talk about that next week. But we need something with a fast burn. Maybe, uh, maybe a robot of some kind. Yeah. So uh... maybe, maybe starring Will Smith. Yeah. I think I think iRobot, iRobot with uh, I Alan Robot Tudyk and Will Smith against the great Blade Runner. And oh, you know what? We should we should specify. I think are we gonna do the director's cut or original theatrical release for Blade Runner? Um, hmm. it makes a difference. It does. It does. See, I I prefer the final cut as as a as a cut, but so next we, week Blade Runner final cut up against will smith in iRobot. awesome well thank you very much chris thank you very much everybody for joining us again for episode two of candy corn cinema join us next week when we pit robot against robot 